chapter 4. We've been through Galatians, for those who are guests today, uh, this summer, word by word, section by section of the chapter, and we've got uh, three or four more Sundays to go until we get to the end. Now we're in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, The words will be on screen, or I invite you to open a, a pew Bible if you'd like. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Jesus Christ himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people who are zealous to win you over, but for no good, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. And it is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, just not, when I, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was once a, a president and preacher at, at Princeton Seminary. His name was Tom Gillespie. I'd never heard of him until I listened to a sermon of his this week. And he tells a story about a book he wrote. This was his one and only book he ever wrote. It was his baby And uh, when the book was published, the publisher told him that it would be available for purchase for the very first time at this uh, particular academic conference. So when he and his wife got to Chicago, they went to their hotel and they quick checked in and then they ran down to the conference floor and found the booth of Erdman's publishers and located the book and he picked it up and admired the shiny cover and held it in his hands. And then he turned to his wife and he said, Now I know how a woman feels when she delivers her firstborn child. And she looked at him. And with a twinkle in her eye, she said, no, you don't. And she was right. A man does not know and cannot know what the labor pains are like. Uh, Tom didn't know. I don't know. Paul doesn't really know. And all men can do really is witness the pain and hopefully be supportive or at least not get in the way. I was with my wife Sarah when each of our sons were born and each time was different. Each time was painful and dangerous. And I was there and I still know almost nothing about that pain. All I know is that on a pain scale of 1 to 10, a childbirth is an 11 or a 12. And now here Paul is in pain. 
And he's in pain for the Galatians. He's tried everything. He started off way back in chapter 1 by uh, uh, rebuking them for abandoning the gospel, for going off with this non-gospel. And he calls for God to curse those people who taught them this stuff. And then he shifted gears, and in chapter 2, he told his story about how he became a Christian, how God found and called him, how he went up to Jerusalem and Antioch, and the church worked on the problem of how to welcome Gentiles into the church. Do they have to become Jews? And the clear, resounding answer was, no, they don't. And then in chapter 3, Paul calls the Galatians foolish, not once, but twice foolish for following this strange way And then he points to scripture, to the story of Abraham and how Gentiles believe in God because Abraham was a Gentile and he believed in God and he was righteous. And then in in chapters three and four, Paul throws pretty much every metaphor he can think of at the Galatians, just trying, hoping to get them to understand uh, uh, slaves and guardians and heirs and uh, wills or inheritances. And and finally, tired of arguing, he, he goes back here in chapter four to show them his heart. Because Paul is deeply concerned for the Galatians. He is perplexed, he says. He he fears for them. He pleads for them. He calls them brothers and sisters. And he reminds them of how they welcomed him. He wishes he could be with them. And he feels like he's in labor pains for them. Will it be enough? Will they hear his concern? And it's an open question because we don't know how they heard this letter or how they responded to it. Now, in a lot of Paul's letters, we can kind of guess uh, that they were written in response to some sort of letter or message from the church. There's often a section in each of Paul's letters where he goes, "Uh, now about this, or now about your question about that or the other thing. He's responding to something that they wrote to him. Uh, Galatians doesn't have that at all. Paul wrote to the Galatians because of this rumor he'd heard, this report that someone brought to him, uh, something bad is happening and you need to deal with it right away. The Galatians were abandoning the faith of Jesus Christ for this non-gospel, for the works of the law, trying to earn their salvation. And this letter, it's a one-topic, one-note letter. So you might even think by now, if you've heard this sermon series all the way through, yes, Paul, we've gotten the point. We understand. The, The gospel is grace alone, not anything we do. Now you can move on. But no, Paul is not done with them yet. And he comes back to the point again and again with different images and ideas and stories and scriptures so that he's sure that they get it. And this section opened up with an image about slaves, uh, which Paul has already used earlier. They were slaves to these basic principles or to these elemental spiritual forces of the world. They didn't know God. They just knew the way the world works, the way the people say things are. It's this world that is not of grace and faith. It's a world of dog-eat-dog and survival of the fittest, and you get what you deserve. But that is not how God's world works. And knowing God, says Paul, changes everything, or so it should. And then he corrects himself. He, He says it again a different way. No, it's not just that you know God, but that you are known by God. That God knows you. And that changes everything. How could they then? How could they turn back? How could they turn back from the gospel to this slavery And then he talks about uh, special seasons and years and calendars, uh, celebrations. And what he means is the religious calendar, the Jewish calendar, the pagan calendar, the way that people try to keep these days to somehow make themselves right with God. And we know that holy days, special religious days are not bad or evil in themselves, 
But doing them to save your skin is misguided and wrong because they will never make you holy. That's not the point of the law. And Paul is afraid for them, he says. He knows that they're being led astray, so he fears for their spiritual well-being. He's afraid he's wasted their efforts on them, that this letter might not be enough. And so he turns more personal. He, he calls them brothers and sisters. He recognizes that they are God's children. And notice that even though he called them foolish, even though he rebuked them for abandoning the gospel, he still treats them as Christians. He wants them to be like him, to live this life of freedom in God's grace, not a life of works of the law. And then Paul reminds them again how they first met. And it's a story that we don't really know. We just get some glimpses of it here. But it seems like he became like them when he lived with them. He was a missionary and he lived like them. But he didn't even plan on preaching the gospel there in the first place. Somehow he ended up there sick and ill and needing help. And they welcomed him in his illness, even though it was repulsive and contemptible and revolting and burdensome. They, they didn't treat him with contempt or scorn. No, they, they treated him as a messenger from God, as an angel, as Jesus Christ himself in the flesh. That high bar that Jesus told his followers uh, to do, to, to welcome the stranger, you welcome me, said Jesus. When you welcome the stranger, you welcome me. And we don't know what Paul's illness was, but uh, some people suspect that it might have had something to do with his eyes because of his reference just a little bit later to how they would have given an eye for him. They welcomed Paul, and they welcomed him with joy and with blessings. And Paul asks, where is that joy now? Because Paul feels like they're treating him as an enemy. Uh, The real enemy, says Paul, is those false teachers who led them astray. They want people to be passionate about them, not about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you probably have seen false teachers like this on TV or, or heard about them, like from Mike Mikoff in, in Zuni. Those false teachers are the ones who point to themselves instead of the gospel. They have these shiny words and shiny images uh, that don't point to Jesus. They point to their ministry, to their latest book or video or thing. And if you just send in a donation of $15, then, then you will be blessed by God. Or they get caught up in this latest of the culture wars and and stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this pandemic has been hard on churches and on pastors and on leaders. And everyone I've spoken to says the same thing. Uh, We're called to care deeply for one another, for the church. And that is hard to do right now in North America. Because everything makes someone angry and makes them want to leave the church or threaten to it. Maybe their congregation was too careful. Maybe it wasn't careful enough. Maybe the pastor said something from the pulpit that offended them. Or maybe they didn't say something they should have. And pastors and congregations love one another and care for one another and for the whole church of Jesus Christ. But no wonder churches are hurting. No wonder pastors are hurting. Even with labor pains, like Paul says. And to all this, uh, Paul says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Because Paul's not going to give up on them. He is not giving up until Christ is formed in them. And he keeps on pleading. He keeps on begging, keeps on pointing to Jesus, hoping that they will listen and change and let the Spirit transform them in Christ's image. And he takes on this role of a a, a loving mother. He calls them dear children, beloved of God, birthed through pain and suffering. 
He's the, the one in the labor room. He's the woman being split by pain until the baby is born and she's overwhelmed with joy. No wonder he wishes he could be with them like a mother is with her child. He wishes he could talk with them face to face with his gentlest tone because all he's got from far away is confusion and perplexion. It does not make sense. And when Paul talks about Christ being formed in them, he, he's talking about that same thing we talked about earlier, of being in Christ or being transformed to be like Christ. It's the work of the Spirit. It's the transforming power of grace and that ongoing work of freedom in the Spirit. And John Calvin says the same thing in his commentary on Galatians. He says that Christ should be formed in us is the same thing with our being formed in Christ. For we are born so as to become new creatures in him, and he, on the other hand, is born in us so that we live his life. Now, Calvin can be a little hard to understand with his long sentences, but what he means is basically this. Christ is formed in us, and our being formed in Christ are one and the same thing. We are born again by faith in Jesus, and he is born in us so that it's his life living in us and not our own life anymore. And that, my friends, is the end point of Christian discipleship. It's the goal of all Christian life, uh, to become like Christ, to be found in him and him in us, uh, to be in Christ. It's all the same thing. And that's why it's so important to get this right. Because this is the gospel of grace, not works. And the question of the gospel is not, have I been good enough? No, it, it is, is Christ good enough? Anything other than a resounding yes to that is wrong. The good news of the gospel is that you are not good enough, but that Jesus Christ is more than good enough for you. And I've often wondered, in response to that good news, did the Galatians get it? Did they hear Paul's heartfelt plea to them? Did they stop trying to earn God's grace and rest and let the Spirit transform them to be like Christ? And do we? Now, I don't know for sure if the Galatians did understand. And based on history of the the area, I think maybe they did. Because that region of Galatia and Cappadocia up in the, the central highlands of Turkey became a major center of Christianity during those first couple hundred years of the church. Uh, many people believed and followed the way of Jesus. They, they carved out churches from the soft rock in the area. They dug cliffside apartments and monasteries and convents. The, there were hermits living off in the wilderness, praying and studying and doing prophecy. And, and when they were persecuted by the Roman Empire, they went underground and they built whole underground cities through that soft white rock, uh, living in secret and, and continuing to pray and worship down there. And they sent representatives to the major church meetings of those first couple hundred years. Now we know that buildings and, and cities are, and caves are not the gospel. The gospel is found in people's hearts. But it shows up in our actions. It shows up in how they organize their lives around studying scripture and serving their neighbors. There's a proverb I learned in uh, community development work uh, from a woman called Jane Vella. And she says this, How will we know that they know, they will have done it. How will we know that they know? They will have done it. Because the gospel requires action. Uh, Faith 
means works. The faith comes first, but it shows up in action in the world. And Paul certainly thinks so, as he's going to tell us in chapter 5. And actions have consequences for faith. Doing the works of the law, trying to earn your salvation, means that you don't know grace. But when God finds you, when you are known by God and know God in return, then everything changes. Then the Spirit transforms you to be like Christ. You will live different. You will sound different. And you will be different from those basic principles of the world and and different from those who call themselves Christians but put their trust in anything other than Jesus Christ alone. And what does that look like today in, in a pandemic in North America? I'm not here to tell you exactly that because that is the Spirit's job. But your job is to listen to the Spirit tugging on your heart and your conscience and to act. And maybe that means uh, reaching out to someone who's left the church. Maybe that means correcting someone who's following a false teaching. Maybe that means serving your neighbor. Maybe it means sacrificing something, your, your time or your money or your desire to be right. It could be painful but you will be more like Jesus. So follow the Spirit's lead until Christ is formed in you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God of grace, you who called us and named us, you who know us, that we may know you, may we be found in you, may we become like Christ. Uh, Work your spirit in our hearts. uh, uh, Correct us when we're wrong and, and call us to the right way of living that we may become more like Jesus. We, we've heard your word and, and you've spoken to our hearts and we pray that this revelation changes our lives, that we may be transformed to be more and more like Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. Help us to follow your lead, whatever you've prompted in our hearts today or tomorrow or the next day beyond, that we may follow you faithfully knowing that we rest in the gospel of Jesus' grace alone, that he is more than enough. With this we pray with thanksgiving and joy in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.